All right, well, good morning, everybody. Let's start making our way to our seats, and we'll get started. We always like to do our summer kickoff by just uh, turning off the air conditioning and uh, see who's tried and true is really going to persevere. No, I'm kidding. Our AC is down, so we apologize. Uh, there's a water fountain right out this door if anybody needs a little uh, refreshment. There's also coffee in there if you are crazy and want to drink hot coffee. But um, again, welcome. My name's Matt. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, we don't have a lot of announcements this morning, so I want to just welcome you all. The one thing I do want to mention is next Sunday, uh, after service, we're going to have uh, Perspectives Lunch. So this is, this is for perspective, potential new members that, that may want to join Hope or be a part of Hope. There's no, uh, you know, sign the dotted line here. It's just a lunch that you can come and enjoy uh, the lunch, and we tell you about Hope. Um, our, our membership process here is that we, we generally have people come to this lunch hear about hope, hear about what we believe, kind of what, what is required of membership, what's not required of membership, uh, some theological stances. It doesn't take a long time. It's probably about an hour-ish, uh, um, and it's just a kind of an informational meeting. If, if you want to continue that process after, then we would want to hear from you, and so you'd meet with one of our, our elders uh, to, or one or two of our elders. So that's kind of the process. This is just kind of phase one where we get to tell you about hope. So if that interests you at all, we're going to send out a, an email this week with a sign-up. It's if you aren't able to sign up or you don't have, uh, don't, don't aren't able to RSVP, that's okay too. If you're interested, come anyway. Uh, it just kind of gives us a head count for, for lunch, uh, the amount of food to get. So uh, I see a lot of new faces. If you do want an email, uh, just sign one of our uh, little connect cards back there, uh, and then we'll get that email out to you this week uh, as well. So that's it for today uh, in terms of announcements. Uh, in a couple of weeks here, we have... Um, Vacation Bible School Camp, Vacation Bible Camp, Hope Summer, Hope Summer Bible, Bible Camp. Camp. Sorry, guys, I'm I'm old school. It still hasn't kicked in. Hope Summer Bible Camp, um, and it's kind of our version of VBS, uh, and we're excited for that. And then the week after that is uh, the high schoolers go to Clarity Camp, and so we're really uh, kicking into summer swing of camps and teachings and 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 that type of thing. And so what we want to do for the next couple of weeks. Uh, leading up to that is just spend some time before service uh, praying for uh, our students. And Sonia, uh, my wife, Sonia, is uh, heads up our prayer team. She's going to come this morning and pray uh, for our, our kids. And, uh, and you can come on up. And so we'll, we'll start our service that way uh, this morning. Good morning. We're going to just pray from the um, prayer guide, so let's pray. Um, dear God, thank you so much for this time together, and thank you for the opportunity to pray for our children. Um, eternal God, please give our children eyes for you and how you love them. Please give them a clear vision for the goal, which is serving you and being in relationship with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you intercede for us and help us in our weaknesses. <coughs> please give our children the gift of eternal life with you. Please give our children friends who are like you, who give our children a real taste of heaven. Please provide friendships that guide our children on the path of wisdom and people who give sacrificially and people who point our children to you. 
We pray that you, Jesus, shape our children's thoughts and affections and hopes and aspirations. May they build their lives on your promises, which never fail. And lastly, we pray that you, Jesus, are more beautiful and interesting to them than all of the world's expensive promises of beauty, prosperity, or comfort. Jesus, please be more valuable to our children than their own comfort, and please lead them in the way everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Begin our service with Come Thou Almighty King. to sing a song uh, titled The Song of Moses, and it comes out of uh, Exodus chapter 15 when Moses and the Israelites were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh and uh, were beginning their quest into the wilderness uh, to come upon the promised land. But before they did, uh, Moses led the people and he sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider. He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury, and it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. But you blew into your wind, and the sea covered them. and They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Let's sing together the song of Moses. O the Lord, our strength and song, highest praise to him belong, Christ the Lord, the conquering King, your name we raise, your triumph sing, praise the Lord, our mighty warrior, praise the Lord, the glorious one, by his hand we stand in storms of hell pursue in darkest night we worship you you divide the raging sea from death to life you safely lead praise the lord our mighty warrior praise the lord the glorious one by his
Second Samuel chapter eight. You're here this morning, and you are wondering if we take seriously preaching through the Bible verse by verse. You're going to understand today that that is what we take very seriously. So we are going to open up to Second Samuel chapter eight. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to read ahead. Uh, I'm going to read the chapter together, and uh, then we'll pray, and I will dive in to this chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 1. After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Metheg Amah out of the hand of the Philistines, and he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared. The Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, and he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers, and David hamstrung the chariot horses but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Batah and from Berothai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took very much bronze. When Toi, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, Toi sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his help and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had often been at war with Toi. And Joram brought with him articles of silver and gold and bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued. From Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. Aren't you all glad I don't call on you individually to read some of these passages together? on some of these Sundays. All right, let me pray, and then we will dig into this passage. 
Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have brought us here together today. And God, you provide for us so adequately. We have this room to meet in. It may be warmer than we prefer, but Father, we know that so many today have gathered together in conditions far more difficult and far more dangerous than we are here today. Father, I want to take this opportunity to pray for our country right now. Father, I pray during these weeks where there are so many things being advertised and spoken of that are so contrary to your word. Father, I want to pray that you would have mercy on our nation. Father, I, bring, I pray that you would bring revival to the hearts of the people of the United States of America. Father, I pray that you would bring revival to the people of Savannah, Georgia. And Father, I ask that you might choose to use the people of Hope Bible Church to be salt and light. Give us wisdom. Father, I pray that you would give us great humility that might be in contrast to all of the pride that we see around us today. Father, I thank you that you uh, brought Miss Eileen through her surgery. Uh, Father, I thank you that she is home. Father, I thank you that she is recovering. Father, I pray that you would speed her recovery. I, I ask that you would help to alleviate the pain uh, from the surgery that she has had. We thank you for Stuart. We thank you that he is able to be with her and for uh, their daughter. And God, we ask that you would give them strength and rest as they continue to care for her. And Father, I pray uh, for Teo uh, and his wife, Teo Benescu, and his wife in Estonia, our missionary there. Uh, Father, I pray for them as they minister in a context very different from ours. Uh, God, as they present Christ to people who have never heard of Christ, who are atheists, who do not believe in God, I ask that you would give him many opportunities. I thank you for the opportunities that he has to disciple and I pray that you would bring him more opportunities as well. So we thank you for these things, Father. I pray that you would open our eyes to this passage this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I like to say, uh, I don't mean to give anything away. For those of you who are reading the Bible together with us this year, I don't want to give anything away, uh, but I've read all the way to the end, and Jesus wins. All right, so that's, that's the end of the Bible, okay? Um, but I think many Christians today might be a little uncomfortable with the way he wins because Jesus wins by defeating all of his enemies. And so many of the hymn writers uh, wrote songs with titles that I think some church-going uh, people might be uncomfortable uh, with today, like Onward Christian Soldiers, uh, soldiers of Christ arise. The Son of God goes forth to war. Here's a stanza of the Son of God goes forth to war. The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train, who best can drink the cup of woe, triumphant over pain, who patient bears his cross below and follows in his train. Those words are a far cry from some of the words that we sing today in our hymns and our uh, praise songs together. Uh, I thought I would just read to you from Revelation 19. Here we have a description of, of Jesus as he comes, as he returns. Um, it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. 
In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. So, throughout this section of 2 Samuel, really going all the way back to chapter 5, we have been talking about how the faithful throughout the ages have put their promises in the Word of God. And certainly one of those promises that we have, that we can trust in, is that Jesus Christ will defeat his enemies. And his enemies are our enemies in as much as they are against the purposes of God. So if you're uncomfortable with the idea of Jesus defeating his enemies, then you're probably going to be a little uncomfortable with our passage today. Because in our passage today, we see that David has this sort of comprehensive victory over all of the enemies of God who surround Israel. So I've, I've kind of, um, I've thought of it this way. These victories are historically significant because many of the nations that David defeats in this passage have been enemies of God and of God's people since the earliest days of Israel. These victories are geographically significant, as we're going to see, because they take place in the north and the south and the west. And then finally, these victories are covenantally significant because they fulfill God's promises. And so, probably the most important thing we can say as we try to understand what's going on in this long list of battles in 2 Samuel chapter 8 is that it follows after chapter 7. And sometimes when you're doing Bible study, very simple observations can be very helpful to help you understand a passage. So chapter 7 contained that announcement of God's covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, and we found these promises that God would make a name for David, like the names of the great ones of the earth, that he would appoint a place for his people Israel and would plant them so that they would be undisturbed and that they would have rest from their enemies. And so 2 Samuel 8 brings to a close this section, and we see God making good on those promises, all right? And so God is going to make good on some of these specific promises to David's house, but there are other promises that he made there in 2 second, in second Samuel 7 that we will ultimately see fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ, all right? So here's the thing. For the third week in a row, as we sit here in this hot room, and I'm going to have to try to keep your attention with all of this, these battles, here's what I want you to see. God always keeps his promises, all right? Now, if, you're, if you've got that down, if you're like, David, I've heard this for three weeks now. If you've got this down, that's totally fine, and you can feel free to think, to just zone out, and, and I, I'll give you a topic. You can think about what's wrong with the Braves pitching rotation, all right? So if you've got it down, you can, you can think about something else, all right? But if you don't, then I'd ask you to hang in there and, and dig in with me and, and, and take one more reminder about God's faithfulness. All right, so two easy outline points this morning just to organize it, and we'll, we'll go quickly through these, these battles. Uh, number one, the Lord gives David the victory 
over his enemies, and David gives the spoil to the Lord. All right? So let's take a look at David, uh, the Lord giving David victory over his enemies. All right, one of the things I think that you need to understand, if you're going to understand this passage, is that the writer of 2 Samuel, he's not that interested in writing chronologically, all right? So he is more interested in giving a summary of all the things that happened to bring about David's kingship than he is about saying exactly when they happened. So we've seen that David was uh, um, coronated king, and that he defeated the Philistines, and he took over Jerusalem, and then we saw him bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, and then we saw the Davidic Covenant, and so now we have this chapter 8 that outlines all of these battles, and some of these battles, especially the ones with the Philistines, probably even happened before David officially became king of the United Nations, okay, of the United, the United Kingdom. So David defeats the Philistines. There's, there's these four defeats that David accomplishes. Actually, I think there's five. We're going to say there's five. So there's five defeats that Jesus, (laughs) strike that. There are five nations that David defeats among these victories, all right? And we see the first one is the Philistines, all right? So after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them, and David took Metheg Amah out of the land of the Philistines. All right, so Metheg Amah means control of the chief city, so we don't know if that's a proper name, if that's like the name of the city, or if it's just a description. Either way, David went into Philistia, and he struck the Philistines at the heart. He captured their capital city. He cut off the head, all right? And so since the days of Samson, the Philistines have been a a pain to the Israelites. David eradicates, or he defeats the Philistines, and this, this marks God's clear intention to give the Israelites rest from their enemies. The Philistines don't, don't disappear entirely from the scriptures at this point, but they're never again portrayed as any serious threat to the nation. Secondly, David defeats Moab, verse 2, and he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to be put to death, and one full line to be spared and the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. All right, so Moab then was one of the sons of Lot. So the Moabites were a distant family member to Israelite, and the, the land of Moab uh, lies to the, uh, to the west, to the east, rather, of the Dead Sea, and it's, it's in today what would be the modern state of Jordan. And so interestingly, uh, if you remember when we read through Mo- uh, Numbers a few months ago, uh, Balak was the king of Moab, and he paid a guy named Balaam. Remember, Balaam was the guy with the talking donkey. The the talking donkey was trying to keep Balaam from getting to Balak because Balaam was going to be cursed, was going to be paid to put a curse on Israel, but every time he tried to put a curse on Israel, he accidentally put a blessing on Israel. But in the midst of his trying to curse Israel, he actually ended up cursing or predicting destruction on Moab. In Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab. 
Okay, so there's a historical link there. So, so uh, God has prophesied centuries earlier that Moab ultimately will be brought to ruin, and so God is fulfilling that promise from hundreds of years before. All right, Hadadezer, his name comes up like 20 times in that passage. We're saying Hadadezer. Interestingly, his name means um, Hadad will help. Okay, so Hadad was a pagan god, all right? So this guy's name was Hadad, the pagan god will help, um, which he didn't. Uh, So it turns out Hadad was not able to help against Yahweh, and Yahweh allows David to take all the land up to the Euphrates River. He defeats Hadadezer, and he lays claim to that land, and he captures 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 soldiers, and he hamstrings all but 100 of those horses. And then he defeats Aram Damascus in verses 5 through 6. So the, the, the um, Syrians come down to help Hadadezer, David dispenses with them easily. He puts a garrison in Aram of Damascus, forces the Syrians to pay tribute. And so at this, at this point, just so you know, David is, is securing unprecedented control all around Israel. And at this point, we have this statement that appears in verse 6. It says, the Lord gave to David victory wherever he went. So the Lord is fighting these battles. Uh, unlike Saul before him, who did not love God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength, David has committed himself to God, and, and God, Yahweh, is fighting his battles. God is giving him victory wherever he goes. And then finally, jump down to, to verse 13. David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the valley of salt. So the Edomites were another nation that had family ties to Israel. The Edomites were descended from Esau, and this too fulfills an ancient promise regarding Edom. All right, so let me just tie this up for you. I know we went through that really fast, but here's what we're looking at. These five victories represent David defeating the enemies of Israel all around. So you've got the Philistines in the south, Moab and Edom to the east, Hadadezer and the Arameans to the north, and of course you have the Mediterranean to the west. So Israel is secure. God is providing David with comprehensive victory over his enemies, and God is fulfilling his promises. All right, so here's my question. Are you troubled by the brutality of this promise being fulfilled? All right. So when I teach some of these portions of the Bible, especially um, the, the passages related to conquering Canaan, um, I, 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 like to, I like to bring up that there, there are uh, hip college professors, and I, I have one in mind. I have one that I had in mind, and I, you know, I, they've got like cool glasses and cardigan sweaters and, and great hair, and they are looking to prey on Christians, teenagers, young people who don't know their Bibles. And there's one in particular at, at UNC, and, and I've, I've, I've heard that he starts his freshman classes by asking, how many of you have read all seven volumes of Harry Potter? You know, and, and invariably, you know, they'll put up their hands, and then how many of you have read all three volumes of The Lord of the Rings? You know, and a bunch of them will put up their hands, and then he'll say, how many of you have read the whole Bible? 
And, you know, inevitably, like, only, like, maybe one or two hands will go up. And he'll say, if you haven't bothered to read it, how do you know it's true? And guys like this are just looking for ways to undermine the faith of our young people and to try to point out that they really don't understand what they've been told since they were children. And they also love to point out the brutality of the God of the Old Testament. And they say, why would a good God, why would a loving God command Israel to wipe out whole nations? And they would say, you know, why is David allowed to use tactics like making all of the soldiers of Moab lie down and just arbitrarily killing a third of them? Why does he hamstring tens of thousands of horses? And what we have to understand and, and this is, if we're going to understand the, 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 the God defeating the enemies of old or Jesus coming back and defeating his enemies in the future, that these nations, old and new, are living to rebel against God. They hate God and they hate his people. These nations have a long history of wickedness. Not only had they worshipped idols, but they had committed wicked, immoral acts Practices that were abhorrent in order to worship those gods. It is God's intention, too, to give this land to Israel. God is intending to give Canaan to the Israelites, and not only are these nations rebelling against God, but they are refusing to submit to Him and to His purposes. But does that rub against you? Does it rub against you that God would choose to give a land to his people. By the way, I would say the answer to that professor concerning the brutality of God is to point out that God is also immeasurably patient, and he is immeasurably kind, and he has been immeasurably gracious. He has allowed many of those nations to live in rebellion against him for centuries. The promise of their judgment came many years before, way back in Genesis chapter 15, before the Israelites even went into Egypt. God says there's going to be 400 more years. He actually specifically says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete, and for hundreds of years that the patriarchs lived among these people, and word of what God was doing was circulating among these people, my great example of this is always Rahab, who in the city of Jericho has the presence of mind to come to the spies and say, if I help you, will you deliver me and my family? And as far as we know from the record, she's the only person in that city who thought to come to Israel and say, I see what's happening here. I see what you did to Egypt, I see what you did to Og, I see what you did to Sihon, and I am asking for your mercy. And guess what? She received it. She received mercy. So God has been patient, and these nations have continued to shake their fist at him. He did not leave them without light. There's actually a great illustration of that right here in our passage. Uh, call this Toy Story, right? Got a little Toy Story. Toy, Toy. They, they did not have to rebel. Look at King Toy of Hamath 
heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadezer, and Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his help and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had often been at war with Toy. Toy gets it. Toy sees the judgment that's coming, and he says to myself, to himself, what if I just submit to what's happening here? And so he sends his son to David and says, have mercy. This is wisdom. Submit to God. And so, brothers and sisters, I would tell you this morning, you always have the possibility, as long as you are breathing breath in this life, you have the possibility of submitting to God. At any point, you can recognize the truth about who God is, and you can recognize the situation that you are in before him, and you can submit to what he says, and you can cry out to Jesus and say, save me. Because when it comes to sin, in spite of what our culture is telling you, there are no victims. Your past experience does not keep you from repentance. I would also add this, the Old Testament is largely about God dealing with nations. I'm not telling, I'm not saying that he never deals with individuals in the Old Testament, but it's largely about God dealing with the nations, God dealing with Israel. You read the prophets, as we come into the prophets in our Bible reading, in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you're going to see long passages about God, uh, God's judgment on, on Egypt and God's judgment on Assyria and God's judgment on Babylon and all of these places that you may or may not have ever heard of. Because God is dealing with nations as nations. And then in the New Testament, there's this change with the coming of Jesus for a time. God's dealing with individuals. Nations come and go. But in our current age, God is dealing. You don't have to become a Jew if you were a Gentile, in order to worship Jesus Christ. As opposed to the Old Testament, if you were going to be a worshiper of Yahweh, you had to become an Israelite. We don't have to do that anymore. We can become followers of Jesus, praise God, as Gentiles. But I do believe there's a time coming when God will once again deal with the nations. God is not done with Israel. He is not done with the nations who rebel against him. And so what we see in the book of Revelation then is this time that's going to come when the kings will once again shake their fists at God as they see the judgment of God coming down around them and refused to repent. Ultimately, we're not comfortable with God's treatment of the nations because we're not comfortable with the idea of hell. We don't understand how terrible sin is. And if we don't understand how terrible sin is, and if we undervalue the truth about hell, then we're going to undervalue the cross and what Jesus had to endure in order to purchase our pardon. All right, secondly then, David gives the spoil to the Lord. I won't read it again, verses 11 and 12. In his exploits, David amasses all of this treasure, Now the height of the kingdom in terms of its wealth will come under Solomon, but David is getting a pretty good head start here. Israel is clearly being established as one of the great nations of that day. And we are told that David dedicated the spoil of war to the Lord. David recognizes that he didn't get all this treasure for himself. It belongs to God. And I'm certain 
that he sets aside much of it for the purposes of building that temple that he wanted to build back in chapter 7. Those who trust in God and his promises recognize what belongs to God, and they're quick to give God the credit, and they're quick to give God what belongs to him. And so what we see here is that when God fights our battles, then we want to be careful to acknowledge him with the fruits of those victories. And then finally, in verses 15 through 18, David is established. And so with this paragraph, we have a lot of the different names here of the people who are going to be a part of David's administration. The author closes off this section of 2 Samuel. And you might say it goes all the way back to 1 Samuel 16. It goes all the way back to there as we see now that David is finally established as king. And David administered justice and equity to his people. So David exercises his royal office in a proper way. David is not perfect. We're going to see that. We're going to see that in the chapters that we have to come. But David generally seeks to do what was right. I don't think we have any kings in here this morning. Some of you are visitors. I don't know you well. You may be a king, but I don't think so. Uh, I know we've got husbands. I know we've got moms and dads. We've got teachers. We've got workers of all sort. All of us have resources. We have people whom God has entrusted to us. And let me ask you this morning, can the same be said of you that was said of David? Do you administer justice and equity to the people entrusted to you? Do you honor God with the resources that he has entrusted to you? Are you generous or are you stingy? Are you just or do you tend to show partiality? You know, we saw last week at, at the second part of, of chapter 7 where David has that prayer in response to the promise, to the Davidic covenant, and David begins that prayer. Remember, he says, he says uh, oh, oh, oh God, like, why me? Why me, Lord? Who, who am I that you would choose me? And then we, would, we want to be people who, who honor God with the resources and the things that he has entrusted to us. All right, so to conclude then, I just want to take us from David becoming king to the future when Jesus is king. We, we've centered this time for these last few weeks so, so carefully in the promises of God. Um, and, and so I, I think that this passage here in, in 2 Samuel 8 gives us a, an imperfect picture of what it will be like when Jesus comes again. First of all, we know that Jesus will also defeat all his enemies. David's victories were comprehensive, north, south, east, west. Jesus Christ, his victories will also be comprehensive, even more comprehensive. The nations of this world and their kings will be absolutely no match for the king of kings. Daniel 2 says, pictures his kingdom like a mountain, like a rock that comes in and it fills up the whole earth. There will be no room for other kingdoms. It's not going to be pretty. And it should trouble us because it's a terrible thing to fall under the wrath of God. Secondly, his kingdom will be established Having defeated his enemies, Jesus Christ will rule. 
Revelation 19.15, which I read earlier, says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule with a rod of iron. Just like David's kingdom was established, all the more so Jesus' kingdom will be established. And then finally, the nations will bring their wealth to Jesus. So just as the kings of Canaan came to bring their wealth to to David, the ones who were smart, the ones who got it, brought their wealth to him, Isaiah 60 says, Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, the wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Revelation 21 says this, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth who will bring their glory into it, speaking of the the, the glorious city, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, and they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I just want to remind you, we're talking about God, God's promises. We're talking about our heart, our hope. This will be a real and glorious day. We are more certain that this day will come that is being described here than that any of us will make it to lunch this afternoon. The curse upon this earth will be removed. The lion will, will lay down with the lamb. And as believers, we are told that we will reign with him in this glorious kingdom. We're also told, actually, that we will be given jobs to do. We will be given responsibilities, and those who are faithful will have more responsibility, and those who are less faithful will have less responsibility. Right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has been there since he ascended from the Mount of Olives almost 2,000 years ago. At a time known only to the Father, Jesus is going to return in glory to receive his kingdom. And King David's reign was but an imperfect picture of that kingdom. Nations rise and fall. Kings and kingdoms pass away, but his kingdom will never end. And I would just ask you, in light of all of that, whose kingdom ought you to be living for? Do you live as though these promises will be fulfilled? Or are are you preparing for the return of that king, or are you storing up treasure in the kingdoms of this world? One difference between David and Jesus is that David could not die for his people. David was a sinner like you and I. He could not bear the sins of Israel. He could not bear the sins of the world. He could not be a perfect sacrifice. Only his descendant, Jesus, could do that. And that descendant, Jesus, will come again in glory. He came that first time in humility. He came, he died on the cross. He came to shed his blood so that he could save those who would live in his kingdom. But he will come again in glory. And to that, we should all say with David, Who am I, O Lord? If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, if you know him, then you are most blessed. Even if we have to sit and sweat a little, a little as, we, as we listen to, to this word, we are so blessed in what he has for us now and what he has for us to come. 
We're going to close our service as we always do with uh, coming together to the Lord's table. And I would invite you all to participate if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know that he died on the cross for your sins, that he has risen from the grave, that he has ascended and seated next to the Father, and that he is coming again. Please join us, uh, take the cup and take the bread, and uh, we will hang on to those things because uh, I'm going to come back up here, I'll read a passage from the scriptures, and then we will partake together uh, in just a few moments.
read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says regarding uh, Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and eat. Sing together, O church arise. O church arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. With shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand again. cry is love reaching out to those in darkness our call to war to love the captive soul but to rage against the captor and with the sword that makes the wounded whole we will fight the faith and valor when faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure. With Christ we'll have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Come see the cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of stricken then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet for the conqueror has risen and as the stone is rolled away and Christ emerges from the grave this victory march continues till the day every eye shall see him. So Spirit, come, put strength in every stride, give grace for every hurdle, that we may run with faith to win the prize of a servant good and faithful. As saints of Their 
further calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. A mighty fortress. Church, we'd invite you to remain standing for just a moment. We're going to have Sean McGrath and his family come on up here. Sean is in the military and is going to be heading out uh, very soon for about a half a year's deployment. 
And so we'll invite the elders up and, and anyone else who would like to come and pray for them uh, in person. And the rest of you, please pray from where you are. Miss Lily Grace here as well, so uh, brother, we will stand in the gap for you and take care of your family while you're away. Pray with us. Father in heaven, we are so grateful again for the opportunity to come and be with your church, your people, those whom you have ransomed and taken as your own. Lord, you have called us your children, and Lord, we are also grateful today for your people, the McGraths, we're grateful that they are part of this local body at Hope Bible Church that you've given us the honor and privilege of knowing them, of welcoming them into church membership, and of walking alongside of them. We thank you for how you have been with them, Lord. You have grown their family, even given them this new little baby, Miss Lily Grace. We also thank you for your hand on Sean as he has served faithfully in the military, and uh, we're sad to see him being deployed, uh, yet we know that you, the sovereign of all the universe, are not surprised by any of these, uh, these matters, and, uh, and we know that you have prepared them, and you've given them this church, Lord, other believers in Christ who will stand beside them, walk alongside of them, uh, link arms, and, and, and undoubtedly, Lord, we pray that you would help us to just care for them uh, while their husband and father is gone. We pray that you would keep Sarah and the kids, Lord, in your care, and, um, and, and just... Lord, help them to thrive even in the midst of their daddy being gone. And we pray for Sean, Lord, that you would protect him and keep him, Lord. Keep your angels around him as he goes and help him, even in the work that he does, to be a light and a witness for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the one who is coming again, whose kingdom will be without end, and he will reign forever and ever. Lord, we pray for them. We lift them up to you. We ask your peace and your grace and mercy upon them. We ask all this now in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.